you know, go to the effort of designing, you know, manufacturing, importing, getting it into their physical stores, training their staff up, putting it on their website, advertising and marketing it. And then they don't actually tell the customers exactly what store to actually get it from. Truth be told, there were times along the way when, when we struggled and there were times when we were going to pull the pin. That's the never ending challenge of retail is, you know, getting the right product in the right place at the right time. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency eSuite. Now, you're probably familiar, whether you say it or you've heard your uncle say it a thousand times, with the old saying, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Well, today's guest not only says what it does on the tin, it knows precisely where all the tins are. Andrew Maver is the co-founder and CEO of Stock in Store, an omnichannel SaaS platform connecting online and physical stores so retailers know exactly where their stock is to be able to tell customers where to buy it. Makes sense, right? With clients such as Adairs, CookEye, Price Attack, and Scanlon Theodore, Stock in Stores allows customers to find store locations, check product levels, and lots more, creating more integrated and convenient shopping experiences. In this chat, Andrew shares his thoughts on the product categories hardest to keep track of, what tips he has for staying on top of stock, and how growing up as a long-distance swimmer, it helped him build a technology business. I wouldn't normally say water and technology go together, but there you go. Now, before we get into this chat, this might be your last chance to register for our very first live Add to Cart in Brisbane. Brought to you by Convert Digital, we have a very special guest, Ethan Didaskalau, co-founder of luggage brand July. How good's that? Tickets are free but almost gone. So head on over to events.convertdigital.com.au forward slash add to cart live. We'll put the link in the show notes. It might be a little bit easier to get to. And I hope to see you there. All right, let's get into today's episode. Thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Paclio. Here's our conversation with Andrew Maver, co-founder and CEO of Stock in Store. Andrew, welcome to Add to Cart. G'day, Nathan. It's good to be here. Good to have you here. We've got your bio and I've given you that lovely opening there, but I believe you describe yourself as a crap programmer. Is that right? Way back in the day, I actually came from a retail family. So my dad had menswear retail stores. And when I was 16, he said to me, you know, do you want to get involved in the business? I'll teach you everything. And I said, dad, couldn't think of anything worse. And yeah, he, he, he devolved himself to the business. I went off and did a double degree of business and IT. And I was stronger in the business, but I went, oh, this IT thing is, you know, is something that's, you know, the future of the world. But, you know, I did information systems and kind of, I get, I'm really good at the concepts around it, but technically I'm, I'm a crap programmer. I've made my way through and got my way through and passed, but there are far better programmers that, that now work for me that do the do. And what does your dad think about you've now combined your tech background and retail together for a career? My dad is a technology dinosaur. 
So he has absolutely no idea or concept, right? He does not know what online shopping really even is, right? So it's as far from me as he could possibly be. That's brilliant. All right. We are here to talk about Stock In Store and your journey at Stock In Store. Can you give our listeners an overview of what Stock In Store is and how it helps retailers in Australia? Sure. So Stock In Store is a platform we've developed. We came from a web development background. So we were building e-com websites for lots of retailers and, and we saw they had the same problem in the omni-channel space. And a lot of it was driven around inventory management. So we've done a lot of systems integration with them. And it really came out of their own requirements. So our first find in-store solution in, in the suite really was about surfacing and showing the customer what was available in, in their physical stores. And, you know, we saw a lot of the Google Analytics and metrics that were coming off our, our client sites. And when you've got kind of one, one and a half percent conversion rates on an e-com store that says to people who know and understand retail, but people are browsing online and shopping in store. And so... It just felt completely foreign to us that retailers weren't actually showing what was available in their physical stores. And so they would have customers and, you know, I, I explained this to a lot of our clients, you know, go to the effort of designing, manufacturing, importing, getting it into their physical stores, training their staff up, putting it on their website, advertising and marketing it. And then they don't actually tell the customers exactly what store to actually get it from. So it, for us, that was the principle behind starting stock in store and the find in store solution that was really the foundation of what we did. I don't know about you, but I am obsessed with Yellowstone. And if you're anything like me, you're racing out to change your wardrobe to look exactly like Rip. What a guy. And we're not alone. W. Titley & Co. have been selling quality country and western gear for four generations now. But unlike John Dutton, they're not afraid of change. With five stores, their online sales already represented 42% of all sales, but they wanted more. So they upgraded to Shopify Plus and optimized with Shopify Flow to hide out of stocks, flag high-risk orders, and give live free shipping prompts when customers are at different spend levels. It resulted in a 36% increase in conversion rate and a whopping 190% increase in revenue. They've got full control of this farm. To read more of W. Titley & Co.'s story and see other case studies, visit the customer section on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. And when did you make that transition from building websites to narrowing down and focusing on that inventory problem? We probably did it in 2017. Late 2017 was when we, we went away and re-architected the solution to scale. So originally it was just an MVP that we put on a, on a number of our client sites to go, is, is this something that actually has an impact? And we looked at conversion rates and all of those sorts of things and we were tracking what was going on and, and we thought that there was something there that was really valuable from a retail perspective and an online retail perspective. And so we went away and the way that we've done it, we can't actually add 100, 200, 1,000 clients. So we actually need to build an admin area and you know, help them with you know, you know, visibility and all of these sorts of things that were there. So we went away and did that for a good 18 months, 20 months, and then kind of came back out to the market in 2017. And so it's kind of been the journey since then. And you picked up some pretty big clients pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. It's always an interesting thing. So, I mean, I guess it's been five years now since that time, but truth be told, there were times along the way when when we struggled and there were times when we were going to pull the pin, like we were really, really close. And, uh, you know, we were lucky enough to get Adairs as a client early on, 
that really kind of solidified our belief in and Cook Eye as well, who were still, you know, with us. And you go, you know, that solidified in our minds that it was valued by some some bigger, really good retailers that were out there. So yeah, it's been been amazing. And and a lot of it is yeah, just word of mouth and branding and good reputation and all of those sorts of things that come with it. And so can you explain, so just exactly how it works. So assuming I'm an e-commerce retailer, I've got my store set up, I might have a few physical stores, I've got an e-commerce store, whether it's Shopify, Magento or otherwise, what role does stock in store play in terms of adding on to that? Do you actually store all the inventory and product or are you an integration in between? We're a bit of both. We actually do integrate with their, their point of sale, their ERP system. So we do actually have everything that's available. So one of the things that we saw from a, a web dev perspective was the platforms were getting really complicated when you had to set up multi-inventory locations and all of these sorts of things that, that they all do in different ways and required some significant planning and architecture and all of this sort of stuff that was there. And we went, well, there's an easier way if we can solve that problem. So initially just with a finance or, yeah, we keep a, a record and we have kind of four or five different ways that we integrate with the retailer, so we can pull it from them. They can give it to us. They get FTP. We've got a real-time API endpoint that they can push to us, you know, every minute if they want to. There's all different ways we actually get access to their their stock on hand, and then we also get a feed of actually all their products and SKUs that are actually available across their website as well. So we normally get that feed from their website, and then we have a little JavaScript plugin that sits on their on their website from a find install perspective. A little bit more complex from a from a click and collect perspective, but by and large, it's a similar sort of thing. And we control that button, and so we can place it wherever they want. We can brand it. We can do whatever we want in that way, and it means that it becomes a really low friction, frictionless type setup from a web dev perspective. If they can give us a stock feed, then typically with an API connection to their to their website and a little JavaScript added to their PDP page, it's away we go kind of thing. And it can be tested that way as well. So. There are a few sites that we've got out there that we're onboarding at the moment that you wouldn't even know that our code is actually on there because it's in kind of test mode or demo mode, as we call it. And we only a few of us can see it, the client, and we can all test it and just make sure that it's got accuracy. And then it just checks against our availability. And, there's, yeah, there might be some you know, some differences in terms of what there is in terms of in-store, but we've got some buffers and thresholds and things like that to manage the customer's expectations, not to disappoint them. Do you typically become the source of truth then for inventory or does it vary depending on retailer? I think it varies. And I think it varies depending on what the outcome is. So for online, certainly not. But for our ship from store solution, absolutely. We actually control all the inventory. We'll aggregate it, take off buffers, all of that sort of thing. So yes, we do become the source of truth for inventory. So it really just depends what solution, I guess, you know, the client adopts. So for someone like Toy World Australia that we're doing that ship from store solution or the guys that need to sport, we do control all their inventory and they can add and remove stores as and when they need to. So if you know, last year when we had floods and we had COVID and all of these sorts of things that were going on, we were adding stores and removing stores depending on whether they were open or closed along the way. And it was, you know, it was just a, it was a crazy roller coaster kind of period of time. That would have been mayhem. It was a little. <laughs> So we've talked a little bit about click and collect and ship from store as out of the box, for lack of a better word, solutions that stock in store offer. Having a look at your website, it seems like it goes well beyond those two solutions. How else are retailers using stock in store? We've added in some solutions like store locator. We built that big out of a request from our clients, really. We have this thing called a special trading hours module that's there that controls 
for public holidays and things like that, the retailers can change their trading hours. And we wanted to be able to show the customer when the store was actually open and to make it really easy for them to manage it. Our retailers were coming to us going, you've got better store information than we do on our stores page and it's easy to update it. So can you actually build a store located? So we kind of built that for them. And then we've done things like Google local inventory advertising. So we're big believers that for omnichannel retailers, those that are bricks and mortar and online, that it is really important for them to be able to leverage their their stores as you know, a competitive advantage against the pure place. So we see things like Google local inventory advertising feeds and all of that sort of stuff. We know what's going on in their stores. So we actually, it took us about 18 months to work out the Google ecosystem in that area. And we kind of mash up their Google My Business and their, our local feeds that we get and uh, you know, their shopping feeds and all this sort of stuff. And we, and we update it multiple times a day. And it's designed to then be able to let them advertise and drive people into their physical stores. And, and we think that that's a really good solution. It's funny that you mentioned store opening hours because it seems like something that is so simple, right? From a retail perspective, how can you not have the right opening hours? But the amount of omnichannel retailers you work with and have a look and the, either the contact, the addresses are wrong, the opening hours are wrong. It's a really basic piece that's often overlooked. Do you often find the same with inventory? Because it is difficult to keep track of inventory, but from a customer's perspective, it's so important to understand what's available. Available. Do you often find with retailers that inventory, they recognize is important, but they just ignore it for so long? I think it started to change a lot. I think COVID changed a lot of that when they realized they had stock sitting in physical stores and they couldn't open them and, and they weren't turning it over. I think that's when they started to appreciate how important it was. And, and how to maximise their inventory. So I think that mindset has changed. I mean, we looked at it and we went, the three biggest costs that a retailer has inside their business is their staff costs, their leasing costs, and their inventory costs. So if we can help them by maximising the use of that stock and that inventory in their physical stores, using the stuff that they've already got, then it kind of makes the most of those resources without actually you know, taking on board any really additional capital costs from that perspective. So that's kind of why we think that the solutions that we've got to re- really work well for them. Makes a lot of sense. Are there, This might be a dangerous question for you, but are there any of your clients, your retailers, who you would hold up as someone who is just on top of their inventory and using it to really take that customer experience to the next level? It's interesting because sometimes we're not, really there's so much data that we deal with that you're actually getting into the minutiae is actually really hard and so you know we have buffers and thresholds and those sorts of things to to put in place some some cautionary buffers so to speak so that we don't disappoint customers so i don't necessarily get into the minutiae we talk to them about some of their inventory problems and those sorts of things some have implemented rfid and and now have like a 99 percent inventory accuracy it's not 100% and, you know, we all know that things get faulty, There's they get stolen, you know, somebody has it in the change room when it's been ordered online, all of these sorts of things happen. So we thought about that when we were architecting the solution. We've seen so many retailers and the way that they thought about it. So I don't have anyone specifically. I mean, I don't want to name anyone specifically, but there are some really good operators that are out there and it gets harder the more volume you have that go through it. I think the harder it is to to manage it in that regard. I'd be it'd be bad of me to actually mention money in particular. I'd get in a lot of Sitting trouble. Sitting on the fence. Uh. <laughs> they know who they are. <laughs>
It was interesting you mentioned that because a couple of weeks ago we had Simon Molnar from Flagship and they're using Bluetooth stickers to keep track of products in store. Do you see solutions like that playing an important role in helping physical retailers keep track of inventory? Absolutely. I mean, it's a bit like, you know, the RFID kind of concept that, that that's there to help them. But I still think that I'll give you one example. And this is something you, you can never avoid. You know, we had a client who sells shoes and they had a, a sale for a size 10 and a half shoe. And one of the things that we did was they had a sale. They went to the store. It was a ship from store solution. And they went there and they said, yeah, yeah, we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. We've got one. It's in stock. There's the box, pulled it out. Inside was a size 10 and a size 10 and a half. Somebody had done a switch on them. How do you manage for that sort of situation is, you know, whether Bluetooth or RFID actually does it, it probably doesn't. Like it's just impossible. Those sorts of situations are always going to come up in real life. And so when you mention buffers, what's the typical buffer that you see? Where do you start with buffering rules? And can you, for people who may not have come across buffers in retail before, can you give us a little bit of a background on, on how you approach it? Yeah, my techos are going to kind of probably go nuts at me when I get it, get it wrong. We've got buffers and thresholds and they work kind of slightly differently. So we'll turn around and say, all right, if you've got 30 of these across the country, we're going to take off 10 as a buffer to kind of say, all right, only expose yourself to 20. So you're kind of saying, hey, we want to leave some available because we might only be updating every 30 minutes and you've got a promotion running or whatever it might be that's there. So you've got that buffer in place so that you don't oversell. That's essentially what it's about in that regard. So the other way is, you know, you can take it off and you can say, all right, when you get down to 10, consider it's completely sold out. And that's a different way of, you know, of managing it. So you've always got the exact number until you get to 10 and then you go, no, we're done kind of thing. So there's a few different tricks to the trade. And is there a typical number that people usually allow a buffer on, like one, two, three, or am I being too prescriptive? One of the things that we actually see is, as a result of implementing some of our solutions is they become far more diligent about managing their inventory. So what might start as a one or a two actually becomes a zero, and then we can control it at store level as well and go, well, that store is actually really good at managing it, so we'll just let it ride. But that store is not so good. So you can change what those buffers are on a store by store basis. That there, some of our clients actually can do it on their end as well. So whatever they give us has already been pre-buffered, you know, on their side. So it can happen in a few different ways depending on who they are and what systems and capabilities they've got. And you've mentioned some of those retailers that you work with, going from toys to fashion to hard goods and more. Put you on the spot. Which type of retailer do you think has the hardest job in keeping track of inventory? Anyone in FMCG, I think, is hard to keep track of of inventory or anyone that has like a a really big footprint can stock and be in multiple places. I mean, I know, you know, we've spoken to some people before then and they've got a promo space over there, but their normal shelf space is over the other side of the store and they've got some out the back as well because they've got extra space. So I think those sorts of retailers that do have that, that it's not just a structured you know, location and, and those retailers that mix it up. I mean, the FMCG guys are, are the ones that are hardest as well. I think things like bottle shops where you can break a, a case of beer down into a six pack into individual bottles, that's really hard to do. So I think, you know, those bottlers and wine places have got a really hard job as well. So I think they're probably the hardest ones to deal with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of how you see 
stock and stock counts being important for the online experience. I know we're talking about an omni-channel experience here, but where do you see the opportunities for taking it to the next level? Oh, wow. That's a big question. One of the practices that we do talk about with our clients is actually about having rolling stock takes. So stock taking parts of their store frequently and getting into a good practice of doing it. I think that's really important, especially when you are an omni-channel retailer and you're surfacing not just surfacing, but you're actually making available for sale, you know, stock that's actually in, in a physical store. I think we'll see some, some changes that will happen and there'll be some shifts that will come in the next, you know, 12 to 18, 24 months that'll make it even more important from that regard. But I think that rolling stock take and a really good method for doing stock takes, fundamentally, that's the key to it. And then having good procedures and policies in place and making sure that they adhere to it. So one of the things that we do is, you know, we monitor how many rejections, you know, stores place on, on their orders. And then we share that information and service that information with our retailers so they can do some store performance metrics around it. So they can identify the stores that need to be further trained, that they can identify reasonably quickly so it doesn't get out of hand. Typically what you might find is a store hasn't done a stock take for a year and you know, it's completely out of, out of hand. And there might be miles out of, out of date. So, you know, doing that, I think is becomes part of the, the overall philosophy. And that's where that, that continuous improvement, I think, you know, results. And when you say some major shifts coming in 12 to 18 months time for retailers, did you have anything in mind when you're saying that? I think the shift has already started to happen towards like that absolute last mile delivery and getting it to a customer as fast as possible. I think you'll see some some changes start to happen, maybe with you know, things like drones and those sorts of things as the, you know, as the legislation kind of clears that sort of space that's there. I think those sorts of things, like that hyper-local, being able to actually buy something and have it delivered to you an hour later in, in this country is pretty phenomenal. And then just some really interesting ways about you know, being able to hold inventory. So we see and you know, we work with a number of clients that might have 50, 100, 150 stores across, across the country and you know, they're able to actually get products to their customers pretty quickly because they're a national retailer. So I think they will be at some competitive advantages over some others that are shipping from a single warehouse where they might have, how much does it cost to, you know, to have a warehouse and to staff it and have systems and, and management and all of those sorts of things that are there. They've got all that infrastructure already in place that they're paying for every single day. So I think those sorts of shifts will start to transpire over the next 12 to 24 months. So that makes sense from an omni-channel perspective who may have stores that can be localised for that last mile delivery. For D2C and Pure Plays, what models or what tips do you have for those looking to spread out their inventory to be more localised? I think they almost start to do it anyway by some of the marketplaces that are out there are already getting a lot of their suppliers to actually ship the goods for them. So they've almost got it in that regard, but they don't have it, I think, to the next degree. Some of them do because they're going to go, they're going to retailers who actually have a distributed uh, network of, of locations. So I think it'll be about partnering with those that actually may have it, but it's then you've then got the problem of getting the right product in the right location at the right time for the customer. And that is the challenge that we always talk about with, with our clients is, that's the never-ending challenge of retail is, you know, getting the right product in the right place at the right time. So I don't have, I don't have the perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> Same problem though, isn't it? Same problem we've been talking about for a long time. A long time and will continue to, I have no doubt. Absolutely. 
You mentioned before around the uplift in conversion that you see. Have you got any data or any insights for us in how different solutions and visibility of inventory for the online customer to what's available across the network, the impact that it has on conversion rate? We do. It's one of the things we actually started to measure from the very early days and was one of the, the factors that really convinced us to kind of go down the find install path. So, I mean, we saw where retailers had like a one or one and a half percent conversion rate. We were seeing kind of six, eight, 12% conversion rates when our button was being used. And it came down to really human psychology more than anything else. Like we stumbled across it more so ourselves, you know, because we were diving into the analytics and the metrics and we realized having had a conversation with one of our clients that when inventory was scarce in their physical stores, we saw the conversion rate go up. So one of the things that we do is by providing customers who are browsing online with the opportunity to check whether that product is available in a local store, if it's not, right, then you've actually got the information to be able to make a decision to say, I can buy this online, so I will. So I'm not wasting a journey walking into store getting disappointed I've actually got the information to go, it's not available in my three or five nearest stores or you know any stores within 30 kilometres from me. So if I want it, I'm going to buy it. And that became the reasoning behind a lot of conversion rate increases that were being done. And, and we did a lot of work around our widget to make sure that we could provide customers with that information, but it also helps us provide some analytics back to, to our customers as well, our, our merchants, and to give them insights into actually what customers are looking for in what physical stores at what times and all of these sorts of things that's just incredibly invaluable to them that they never thought they'd have access to. Are you getting any insights or do you have a rate for us in terms of omnichannel retailers, the amount of click and collect orders that they're receiving versus online orders? I think it varies really by industry. I think by and large, it tends to be around the 20 to 30% mark is what we tend to see. 20 to 30% for click and collect? Yeah, 20, 30% of clicking, you know, of, of all orders are click and collect. I think that's generally the ballpark. I think it varies. You know, I spoke to one who was not at client who said, you know, recently said they've got 80% click and collect orders. And I went, Oh my God, like that is insane. Right. So I think it really does. It, it varies. It could also depend on what your store network looks like and how convenient it actually is that it's there for you. But you know, that's why I think it varies significantly. Brilliant. One of the things that we do see is that. We kind of see a ratio of three or four to one of people that are still looking for things in a physical store as opposed to click and collect. So that's a big metric that continues to drive us to understand that people are still want that, that in-store experience and want to walk into a store and actually touch it, feel it, try it, get advice, do whatever it is that, you know, that we do to, to walk into a store. You've refreshed your website. The new range is about to drop. You've never had more customer service options. Hey, but take a look over there at that boring pile of packaging boxes. Ugh, ugly. Time to give that some love. Luckily, Packlio is here to bring some joy to your customer's delivery and unboxing experience. It's been ignored for way too long. With vibrant colors, cool designs, and eco-friendly credentials, there are no more excuses for boring boxes. Even better, Packlio is Australian-owned and operated with same-day dispatch and 14-day returns. There's nothing boring about that. Check out the Paclio range of e-commerce packaging options at paclio.com. That's Paclio, P-A-C-K-L-E-O, paclio.com. 
And your gut feel on that walking to the store motivation, do you think it is to touch and feel it or do you think it's the immediacy of being able to take it home with them or is it service? It's obviously a mixture of all of that. I think it's all of them. I think it's absolutely all of them. And I think it varies for some of us. And I think it will depend on the product. Like there are some gadgets that we want to go and touch and feel and, you know, do I want to feel the weight of, you know, I listen to one of your podcasts, like you go into Bunnings and, you know, I want to feel the weight of a blower back, you know, is that one heavier? Is that one? Like that's what you actually need to do. Yes, you can see the weight of it, but can you actually feel it that way? What are the dimensions? All of these sorts of things from that perspective. I think some people want that sort of stuff. Others want to to get advice. And then you go into places like the body shop or ASOP or, you know, those sorts of places and you want to smell it and, you know, you, you immerse yourself in it. So I think there are all of those sorts of things that happen. Makes total sense. Now, you mentioned before around it paying for itself. Can you share the commercial model of stock in store for retailers? It can get a little complicated just by talking. So it also depends what solution. So one of the things we wanted to do was to make it available and, and achievable for all retailers. Like it was really one of the drivers behind creating the platform. So typically what we'll do is we'll have a, a smallish setup fee that's there. And it's because we actually need to do integration, whether it's with their ERP or whatever it is that we need to do. And then there's a per store per month fee that, that's generally there. And then for some of our more transactional stuff like click and collect and ship from store, there's a per transaction fee. And we were big believers. We hated the concept of you know, percentage of sale. It's one of my little pet hates. And we heard a lot of retailers whinge about it all the time going, there's just no margin in there. You know, everyone takes a percentage. So we just take a flat fee that then has a volume basis on top of it. So that's probably it in a nutshell. And, you know, it, we only charge. So we see some clients that might have. 100 stores that might only have 40 or 50 of them enable to click and collect at any time. Maybe they're training, maybe they're, you know, they've had COVID closures, whatever it is that they had. We will only charge them for their click and collect enabled stores. And there are other stores that just show finding store, we'll show them for the finding store fee that's there. So it can really get kind of complicated in that way that that gets used. So, but that's by and large, that's the model. Yeah, great. And then from an integration perspective, I can imagine that you just work with retailers on a one-to-one basis to understand what the environment looks like rather than kind of a plug-in from an app store. Yeah, you can't really plug in from an app store. It's a never-ending conversation that we have. It's their number one biggest barrier and issue that they worry about, with good reason, because we see some we see and we talk to some retailers who have had some horrible solutions. And typically because they've wanted mainly to take some shortcuts or yeah, they've gone with a plug-in solution that can only do it one way. We have, I guess, four different ways that we actually do integration and we have that flexibility built in. So one is we do have some retailers that are actually not integrated at all. And especially in the franchise space, it kind of makes a little bit of sense that, you know, they might have three, four, five orders a day that a franchisee might get for their store and they'll happily put that in into their system and, and record it as a sale. So they're happy to do that in that way. But then others have got some sophisticated IT teams that know and understand the system. So we will just do a consulting piece that actually works with them. And we have a webhook notification system around our, our systems to notify them when status of orders changes and all of those sorts of things, what's going on in store. So they can do it themselves. They might have a systems integrator that does it or you know, integration as a service. So or we will actually do it for them. So there's all of those sorts of permutations that I think are really important to give every retailer some flexibility around what that solution might look like for them. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's definitely not the entry level, get started, plug it in, away we go. It's for the more sophisticated retailers by the sense of it. It is, and it's one of the reasons why it's hard to 
put a plug-in in place on the App Store on like Shopify or Marketplace or whatever it might be that the e-com platform has got is because it's so hard and it you can get it wrong if you just do it yourself without actually having some level of consultation and we want to make sure that everyone gets it right. Yeah, great. Now, you've got kind of unfiltered access to the stock levels and how retailers are going in terms of their stock. We've seen that being a huge challenge over the last 12 months. What's your feeling overall on where retail in Australia is sitting at the moment with a grip on stock to meet demand in the market? I think there's a lot of stock that they would like to get on their hands. So for retailers that have you know, multi-branded stores. So someone like a Toy World that has like Lego and Monopoly and all of these sorts of things that are there, sometimes they're at the mercy of what is available globally. And that supply chain type stuff that you know, has no influence over how well a retailer can manage their inventory. So really they know, like we saw that last year with, with some stuff in, in the Lego space that there was huge demand for some of these Lego products that were out there. And they couldn't get it in the country. They couldn't even get it from Singapore. Like, uh, yeah, that just wasn't available anywhere in you know, the, the Asia-Pacific region. So I think there are challenges like that that go well beyond any retailer's capability. And then there, I think, are, are potentially retailers who maybe hedge their bets and we, we don't want to actually invest so much in our inventory because we don't know what's going to happen with this COVID thing. And that was a decision they made 12 months ago to make that investment in design and inventory and you know, how much stock they'd carry. And now they're probably seeing that there's you know, significant demand. And I think the next three or four months, you know, in the lead up to Christmas is going to be the, the big time as it always is to, from a retail perspective. I think some of the, some of the retailers did really, really well during COVID and some of them got absolutely obliterated. You know, they couldn't open stores. They couldn't try things on. You know, they had stuff like luggage that people weren't traveling with. So I think it, you know, it's a mixed bag and you'll see that reverse a lot. Like people are out there traveling at the moment and want luggage and, and all of those sorts of things that go with it. So I don't know. There are smarter people than me that you know, they're managing it as a full-time job. We've got Ethan from July Luggage joining us at Add to Cart Live in early October. So I can't wait to hear from him around how they managed that over COVID. Yeah, he'd be getting smashed at the moment. Everyone seems to be going to Europe or Bali or somewhere like that. So I'm keeping Facebook and Instagram closed. <laughs> You mentioned before that you almost threw it in at certain points in the journey. I'm really interested in that around, can you share what led to that and what made you come out the other side? How do you stay motivated to keep pumping through? Listen, I think anyone who starts their own business, no matter what it is, would have those moments of doubt. Are we doing it the right way? Is our message getting through? Do we have something that's being valued? I think everyone has that those moments of doubt. I think one of the things that continues to drive us, A, I have a business partner that I can actually spitball with and we can talk it through and, and do that. And I think that that's a huge help to have and a bit of yin and yang. And I'm normally the optimistic, positive one. So if I have moments of doubt, then you know, he, he sees it and actually flips it around and, and kind of can take the other side. And, and He's kind of that balancing act on on the seesaw, so to speak. And I think that's a really important facet of having a business partner that, that a good business partner that that helps. And I think just I grew up as a swimmer, as a long distance swimmer, and it teaches you some toughness and you know a work ethic and self belief. And I think that those sorts of things are really important. And that's kind of the story that I think gets you through is is sometimes it's a bit of craziness. 
And I'm sure there are people out there that have the same belief that may not be able to succeed. And that's frustrating and disappointing. But I think, you know, maybe if we'd gone on another six months and hadn't got the clients that we got, it may have been a different story. And that's that can be the difference between success and failure. Yep. Well, Andrew, you're solving some very real problems that have existed in retail for a long time and no doubt will continue to to exist, but you're making life easier for some really, really great retailers. So well done. Can you tell us what's next for yourself and the stock in store team? Some pretty exciting stuff. Probably next for us is about international growth. We always saw what we were doing as being a global problem. Retailers have the same problem all around the world. It wasn't just limited to Australia or New Zealand. And we do have a, we've got a, you know, a small presence with some clients in, in Asia. So, you know, we, we spent a lot of 2019 going multilingual. So, you know, we've got a client like Triumph Lingerie that their Hong Kong site is in Chinese. So all the store information and all the click and collect information and find a store is all in Chinese. And they're going to open up in Thailand and Vietnam soon. So, you know, that they'll be likewise. So, we just had a first client launch in, in the US as well. So it's really about, about growing internationally and going through exactly what we've just done in Australia, but doing it at an international level. So hold on for the ride, I think. Apart from language, any other challenges internationally that you don't face here in Australia? Listen, there's some cultural, obviously, challenges that you get along the way that are always important. And I think we're really lucky. We've actually got a very multicultural group of of people in, in our business. I think out of the 14, 15 people that are come from 12 different countries already. So we do get that blend and that different perspective that I think has added a lot of value to, to us as a business. But I think the biggest difference is, is around logistics locally over in the different countries. We've already started to see it with some of our clients. And that's why I think that last mile delivery solution and how you do it, I think that will probably change will be slightly different depending on who the local players are that are in there because they've got their tentacles out there in, you know, all the little nooks and crannies. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Andrew, if people have heard this, retailers especially, and they've said, we need a solution like this, how can they get in touch? Website's always good. There's a form that's there. We'd love you to fill it in. LinkedIn, I'm available on LinkedIn. Hit us up on LinkedIn. They're probably the two best places for us as a big business to get us. And as you can tell, I probably like a chat. So pick up the phone and uh, and call me as well. But uh, we've got a great team who are there that are, will help you. And that's what we're about. We're actually about helping retailers improve their businesses. So yeah, one of those two is probably the best place. Awesome. Andrew, well, I've enjoyed the chat. So thank you very much for uh, coming on and sharing the stock in store story so far. Nathan, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. All right, are you a stock expert yet? If not, here are the three tips that I took away from my chat with Andrew. Number one, stock take shouldn't be an annual activity. Now, I feel we've talked a lot about stock take recently on Add to Cart. Uh, Not everyone's favorite topic, but it's crucial in terms of giving customers great experiences. Andrew added to this conversation when he said that rolling stock takes were needed rather than the traditional annual ones. Stock taking parts of the store frequently and having a good procedure in place for regular counts is crucial and will have a direct impact on your customer's experience and conversion. So if you're still doing those annual stock takes, have a think about whether that is good enough in today's retail environment. Number two, stock communication. Andrew gave the example of a company contacting a segment of their audience 
when they noticed that they were out of stock in this part of Australia and told them when it was back in stock just for this audience. And I believe that full price stock notifications are the untapped gold for many retailers to create urgency but retain margin at the same time. And number three, localization of stock. One of Andrew's trends that he identified and he believes will be a differentiator for e-commerce brands is the localization of stock and how quickly you can get that stock into the hands of your customer. Whether this be via a store, via a drone or a 10-minute bicycle, if you don't have stock close to the majority of your customers, you might just be caught out. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addtocart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links, and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency, connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. Head on over to eSuiteTalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart.